Welcome to the Cosmic Connection. This is your place to explore the beauty and order of the cosmos. And your connection to it all. My name is Amanda Poole-Walsh, and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub. And I'm Rick Merlin-Levine, your Cosmic Navigator. Now let's dive in. Let's do it. Hello, 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 everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Cosmic Connection. For those of you who don't know me, I am Joji, Astrology Hub's podcast producer, and I don't think I need to introduce Rick Levine. <laughs> he, it's his show. He's here every month. And today we're doing the June horoscope, which uh, Rick says the theme of the month is progress or review, question mark. And we'll unpack what that means in just a second. Um, for those of you who are new to the channel, Welcome. We talk about astrology all the time. We have pretty much an episode almost every day of the week. And if you're not subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button and that bell button to be notified whenever we have another episode. And with that, I think we're done with introductions. Um, I think we're ready to jump right in. How are let's you? Jump. Uh, let's jump. Let's <laughs> jump. I, I haven't seen floor. you. I haven't seen you for a few days. Right? Uh, Joe was here in Seattle at. Uh, NORWAC, the Northwest Astrology Conference. And this was a great NORWAC for me because it was the first one in decades that I was not a speaker and I ha was not writing a daily horoscope column. So I was free to just make trouble and have fun and hang with friends. And it was good to see you there, Joe. Yeah, I also was on the same boat. That was well, I, I haven't been to as many conferences as you have, but that was my first conference where I wasn't working as well. And I was just a social busy bee, just talking to everybody. I made yeah. so many friends. No one is my favorite. Uh, yeah, there, there, there were a lot. I mean, I don't know, probably about 450 people plus. I don't know. Mm -hmm. and, um, and most of them, at least all the ones that I talked to, seemed to be amazing. So I love Norwalk. And it was great to see you. And now let's get down to work. Yeah, it was great to see you too. All right. So, so you said the theme of the month is progress or review, question mark. Why is that? Yeah, I, I suppose if I said it right, I, I wouldn't need to say there was a question mark. I could go progress or review. Mm. <laughs> that, would, that would have done it. Um, well, do you see... The, the thing is that we're coming off, not only we're coming off of a Mercury retrograde, but on, on yesterday, on the, uh, what, what is it, the 31st of May, Mercury actually direct reached the degree where it had gone stationary, uh, where it had gone stationary retrograde which means that even though Mercury had been moving direct for the last couple of weeks of May, Mercury is now moving in territory that it hadn't reached before. Um, astrologers, and this is a relative recent, relatively recent term, um, I think coined by my friend Roxana Muse, who just recently passed, and that concept or that term is the shadow of a planet is the area when it retrogrades, where it goes direct over an area, retrograde over the same area, and then direct over the same area until it clears or emerges from the shadow, which on June 1st 
we have the first day of Mercury moving into new territory past 15 and a half degrees um, uh, of Taurus. And the thing is that this gives us the sense of moving into new territory. And in a way, we are. And and actually, we have still have um, a, a number of other planets, all the inner planets now, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, and Jupiter, um, are are all moving direct. However, Pluto turned retrograde um, last month, and uh, this month in June we have both Saturn and Neptune turning retrograde, and so we're getting this deeper rhythm of the the outer planets one by one turning um, uh, a, a turning retrograde. And, and it gives us a feeling of being anchored to the past or covering old territory, but in a very slow motion kind of, kind of a way. Um, in, in fact, um, Pluto, which um, it, it turned retrograde, but it now backs into Capricorn on June 11th, Pluto barely moves a half a degree, even less than that, for the entire month um, of, of June. And in fact, because Saturn is also um, turning retrograde on June 17th, Saturn has slowed down. We open the month with Saturn at seven degrees and zero minutes of Pisces. And we close the month with Saturn at seven degrees and I think five minutes of Pisces. The outer planets are not giving us a lot this month. Um, Between um, Saturn... Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, none of them move more than a degree or uh, Uranus moves, I think, um, closer to two degrees over the whole month. But the thing is, is that on a personal level, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, um, Venus moving, you know, into, um, you know, new sign Leo, where it's going to stay forever because it turns retrograde in Leo. Um, Mars having been in Gemini in its retrograde forever, and now breezing through Cancer and Mars being also in Leo, um, and Mercury now moving direct. Mercury not only leaves Taurus, where it's been since early April, but in fact, um, Mercury runs not through the last part of, um, of, of Taurus, and Mercury um, enters Gemini the same day that retrograde Pluto backs into Capricorn on June 11th, which is a really important day. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But Mercury enters Gemini on June 11th. This is its home sign. And so there's a feeling of our um, communication, our intellect, our thoughts are are moving at a little bit uh, or a lot more rapid, rapid pace. And so the events may seem to be happening quicker. There's more interactions. There's more things going on as Mercury is speeding up and running through Gemini. And in fact, Mercury moves through Gemini and out of Gemini by before the end of the month. Um, so in other words, Mercury enters Gemini on June 11th, and it enters Cancer on June 26th. And toward the end of the month, we get this incredible slowing down energy that really is working in the background all month. And so here's the thing, just coming around full circle now that I've laid out this kind of a little bit of groundwork, 
is on a personal level, on an interactive level, on the level of things happening. It feels like we're, we're, we're moving in new territory. We're going ahead. But with Saturn slowing down, turning retrograde, Pluto retrograding back into Capricorn, Neptune barely moving at all because it stations at the very end of the month retrograde, we're not really getting anywhere. And it may feel like we're stuck to the past reviewing stuff that we're just done with, but we can't be done with it. Did that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I had a question about that, actually, since it's it's mostly like the outer planets are going retrograde. Would you say that these like the larger stories of our lives are kind of taking that step back and then the, the more personal stories, like the, the small like day to day things? Yeah, that may like be one way more? of looking at it. Um, I th I think that the larger planets tend to be, you know, there's a concept in homeopathy that says the more subtle the dosage, the more profound the results. And I think that the outer planets sometimes work that way. And in fact, when any planet is moving slower than it does normally, which all planets move their slowest when they're changing from direct to retrograde or retrograde to direct, that when a planet moves slower, it's maybe subtler, but it has more inertia. It has more, more power. It's not going as fast, but it, but it really kind of sets up these really deep issues. And so I think you're right, Joe. I think that that personally, we may feel like we're running all around, that we're doing this, we're doing that, we're getting this done, Whoop, that slipped through the cracks, we're, we're going to an event, we're going to a party, we're having some sort of relationship stress, some, some home family work. Things are happening, the things are really moving. But when you look at the overall, take a step back and you look at it from a wider perspective, it's like, are we really making the progress that it feels like we're making. In other words, minute to minute, hour to hour, it might feel like we're getting a whole lot done, but day to day and week to week and month to month right now, not so much. And I think we'll see it somewhat in more global events. I think we'll, you know, the, the inner planets, the um, moon, sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and even Jupiter are acting as triggers to these slower moving planets that are kind of almost stationary all month. I mean, technically they're not stationary, but for all practical purposes, Saturn that's at seven degrees, zero minutes Pisces on June 1st and is at seven degrees, five minutes Pisces, you know, and in there it moves forward a bit and then back it moves, but still not a quarter of a degree in its entirety. We're just not making the progress that we'd like to make. Right. And you did, you, you did talk a little bit about uh, Mercury going into Gemini as well. So do you think that like that Mercury, like fast thoughts, fast, um, like movement and all that, do you think it's a good time to maybe like start planning or is planning? Well, not really it, the, it right? adds to the illusion of accomplishing. It adds to the illusion of shaking things up and moving forward. I mean, we have another thing, even while Mercury is moving through Taurus, um, if, if we can step into the way back machine, well, not the way back, but the not too far back machine, um, we remember that when Mercury turned retrograde, it was moving toward a conjunction with Uranus, um, and it never quite made it. 
it just like came within a degree or so of its conjunction to Uranus. And then it slowed down, apparently, Mercury did. And then it turned retrograde. And now as Mercury is clearing its shadow, by June 4th, actually, this energy is tied up with the full moon that we'll get to in just a moment on June 3rd. But on June 4th, Mercury, while it's in steady, slow-moving, plodding, determined Taurus, by June 4th, Mercury lines up with Uranus, and this is crazy. This is, you know, it's it's like it's almost like early warning for what it'll be like in when it goes into Gemini. And yes, I think this is really a good time to up our ante in um, in creating agendas and writing, um, um, you know, uh, plans. We don't have to finalize them, but I think that the talking with our friends, with our employees, or our employers or even just our associates. This is a great time for sharing ideas because our mind is way more active than the physical reality around us that will still slow us down. And I think the negative thing here, or at least the potential trap, is that we can make ourselves a little crazy because we're sure that we're just doing all this brilliant thinking and everything's going on, but we're not getting where we're supposed to be getting. And therefore we might think we're doing something wrong Whereas we may not be doing something wrong, we may just be doing it on the wrong time scale. Right. And what are some some keywords that you use for Mercury Uranus usually? Like, how can we think about this conjunction coming? Okay, up? two things. First of all, um, oop, telephone, answer it. <laughs> First of all, um, Uranus is considered to be the higher octave of Mercury. Um, there's a thing that connects the inner and outer planets. Mercury to Uranus, Venus to Neptune, and Mars to Pluto. And I think that Mars to Pluto is the least mm, um, convincing, although there is a case that can be made for it. But the Venus, the Neptune being the higher octave of Venus, because Venus is I love you, and Neptune is love. You know, Neptune is the concept, but there's no personal in it. By the same token, Mercury is how I think. It's what I think. It's the words I use. It's the language I use. It's how you and I interact and we send information back and forth. Uranus is the system that holds those thoughts. In other words, Uranus is the nervous system. Uranus is electrical impulses. And let's never forget that all communication, all nervous activity in the brain, in the body, is ultimately electrochemical. There's, without electricity, there is no nerve impulse. It takes, it, it, it's actually a potassium sodium ion transfer that creates the moving of a nerve uh, impulse down, down um, you know, away from the center, from the axon to the, um, uh, to the, to the dendrite. Um, and so from that standpoint, when Uranus lines up with, when Mercury, we always try to say the faster moving planet first. We don't always do that as well as we should, but it's a good habit to, to get to. Um, it's a good habit to develop. When Mercury conjoins Uranus, it's like our nervous system is on fire. And the fire, though, is not the fire of, um, of fire signs 
um, you know, Aries, Leo, Sagittarius, it's the fire of an electrical spark. Lightning is high frequency fire. This is fire and air have something in common. And Uranus is lightning. Uranus is electrical. Neptune is magnetic. Together, Uranus and Neptune make electromagnetism. In fact, Hans Christian Orsted coined the word electromagnetism at the conjunction of Uranus, electricity, and Neptune magnetism in 18, 2021, right in there. Um, Yeah, interesting little thing. He did it in a live demonstration and, uh, and took this magnet and moved it back and forth over a closed circuit with a um, voltmeter and the voltmeter moved and he went electromagnetism, magnet, electric, electromagnetic, anyhow. So if we understand how electricity works, we understand how Uranus works because Uranus works like lightning, which is, as Ben Franklin demonstrated, um, it's electrical and it's an electrical spark, but it's like a very high frequency instantaneous shot of fire. And what it does is it it's sudden, it's surprising, and it's bright like fire is. And when the lightning of Uranus strikes, we call sometimes, we sometimes call Uranus, Uranus the awakener, because it's like, you know, those pictures of, of the person who has the idea and the light bulb goes off. It's this right. on my shirt. You know, this part is the is is the Uranus that is the oh my god, epiphany, good idea, brilliant thought. That's just a nervous electrical circuit firing. And so when Mercury lines up with Uranus, our thinking can be really brilliant, but it can also be really wrong. It's just mm. that it's loud and wild and electric and sudden. And, you know, it's there's the, the saying that I like to use for Uranus is when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not, you're, I don't know, in the south side of Cleveland somewhere, you know, you're just, <laughs> you know, it, it's like on or off because unlike other transits, Saturn, you see what's coming, you know, you can't avoid it. Even with Neptune, it's like this mysterious field, but it grows and until it's there and then it kind of eventually fades. Uranus's action is spontaneous. And if you've ever tried to photograph lightning, which I have, it's nearly impossible because you know that in the middle of a storm, you can see the lightning around you and hear the thunder. And so you know that it's going to strike, but you don't know exactly when. And you don't know exactly where. And so you're sitting there with a camera and you're looking this way and all of a sudden you hear and you turn that way. And then there's the big one where you just were, you know. Um, And so when Mercury lines up with Uranus, it's often like erratic but brilliant thinking. It's genius. William Blake um, wrote in The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, he wrote, the road of genius is a crooked one, whereas that of an improver is straight. Saturn is a straight road. <laughs> Uranus is crooked. It's, if you think of Uran, if you think of Uranus and its modern relationship to Aquarius, you know the jagged lines of Aquarius. It's almost like electricity in the air. And in fact, without moisture in the air, 
the air can't conduct electricity, just like our nervous system without being wet cannot make a nervous impulse or a thought. This is why Aquarius is not an air sign, is not a water sign. It's the water bearer, because when the air is wet, it has electrical impulses in it, and therefore it sparks thoughts. So, and do you think it being in Taurus changes any of that? Because I'm thinking, yeah. like, with this Im image of uh, the lining and everything, I just yeah, imagine, it does. like, that stick on the ground. <laughs> it does, and we'll feel it. that even more when Mars on June 26th moves to square Uranus. So we have Mercury conjoining Uranus on June 4th, and then we have Mars squaring um, Uranus on June 26th, I think. Yeah, June 26th. And, um, and, and so, yeah, there, I forgot your question. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, my question was, does it all in be Taurus. in Taurus? Yeah. In Taurus. Mm -hmm. So both Mars squaring Uranus and Taurus and Mercury conjoining Uranus and Taurus. Uranus don't like being in Taurus. Why? Mm -hmm. Because Uranus is about irrepressible sudden change taurus doesn't like change <laughs> you know taurus is an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted on by an outside force newton's laws of motion and an object in motion tends to stay in motion uh you know you got a taurus laying on a couch don't try to get him to mow the lawn but if that taurus is mowing the lawn don't try to get him to come in for lunch because he's in motion and has got to stop only when when he, she, or they are ready. So, yes, Uranus and Taurus is very peculiar in as much as it doesn't change, it doesn't deal with adaptability and change as much as Uranus did when it was in Aries, or as much as it will when Uranus moves into Gemini in a few years. In Taurus, Uranus changes, but only under duress. In other words, Think of, think of the tide changing and how easily that water just really just rises and falls in great ways. And then compare that with granite, which even under great pressure doesn't change, doesn't change. And when finally it reaches a stress point, what happens? An earthquake. And that's how Uranus works in Taurus. There's fewer changes while Uranus is in Taurus, but the changes are more drastic because they're making up for um, the, all the changes that it avoided or didn't, didn't have. And so when Mercury goes across Uranus, it tickles it. The lightning strikes, and there are things that are said, things that we learn. There's interactions that occur. There's movement that is normally anathema to Mercury in Taurus, and also, even Uranus in Taurus doesn't like to change. And when Mars squares it later in the month, it's that same kind of thing. And I imagine in both of those days, around the 4th of June and around the, what did I say, the 26th of June, um, give or take a few days, I think we'll see some real movement on some issues. And I would think that even now on the 1st with Mercury um, three degrees away from that conjunction to Uranus, that we're already seeing some Mercury-Uranus conjunction stuff in the United States with the movement on the resolution to this irresolvable 
you know, problem, um, you know, with the whole, you know, uh, budget and debt ceiling and, and whatever, um, there, that is kind of like a Mercury conjunct Uranus, um, where the lightning strikes and somehow the impossible just happens. We think the thoughts that kind of break through the, the, the stalemate. Yeah. And you said this leads us into this full moon in Sagittarius also. Like, and is, is that going to, because whenever I think about Sagittarius, I, I tend to think about like that, that tarot card with uh, the eight, the eight of wands with the, the speed and all of that going forward and all that stuff. Do you think that um, going through this uh, Uranus uh, Mercury conjunction and then stepping right into the uh, Sagittarius full moon? It it's actually the other way around. It, it, oh, it's, it's the, the other four. way around. Yeah, the full moon. The full moon um, occurs um, on Saturday, on June third, um, at eight forty-one, and that's um, and 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 that's Pacific time. Um, and so that that occurs at um, thirteen and a quarter degrees of Sagittarius to the uh, sun at thirteen, actually eight, thirteen degrees eighteen minutes Gemini. Um, and, um, yes, b- because inherent in that full moon already, Mercury is a degree away from its conjunction to Uranus, which actually occurs, um, within 24 hours, actually, yeah, even a little bit less than that, like within 18 hours or so, um, after the full moon. So that energy is already contained, um, in, in, in that. Um, and I think the other thing about this uh, about this um, f- full moon um, is that we have the moon uh, kind of in an interesting position. This is not obvious to those people who don't use harmonic aspects, and this is not a plug for anyone to go to astrologyhub dot com slash foundations whatever foundations three (laughs) Um, this is not a plug for that but when we look at this full moon um it's um it's past a trine um to pluto and leo the um, sagittarius to leo so it feeding up into it um that's intriguing and it's also past a square to saturn because the the full moon at 13, Saturn's at five, um, Pisces. It almost looks like this full moon is not aspected at all. However, this full moon is a half a square away from Pluto. Now, remember, Pluto's at zero degrees of Aquarius, um, and it's just less than a week away from backing into um, 29 degrees, 59 minutes of Capricorn. So this full moon, oh, and on top of that, we also have Venus that is at the full moon at 28 and a half degrees of Cancer. And Venus is just getting ready to um, change signs because it moves into Leo on the 5th. That's just a couple of days less, you know, a couple of days after the, um, the full moon. So we already are feeling the Venus opposed Pluto. And this is a deep emotional um, uh, dive. You know, this is a going into the underworld, whether we like it or not, dealing with things that may have been hidden or suppressed. They may be in reference to attachment, desire, money. I mean, all those Venusian things. But in some ways, this is this is a variation on the myth of Persephone being abducted by Hades, Pluto, into the underworld um, because Venus is connecting up with Pluto. It's 
Um, I, I, I think here of Thomas More, uh, the guy who wrote Care of the Soul and Soulmates and the, uh, um, what is it, the, the re- the, the re something the re-emergence the re something of soul in everyday life the re i can't think of the name of the title of that book but before he wrote all those books he wrote a book called dark eros before he got famous and it was about how when we buy into love venus it's not just the pretty pleasant surface stuff it's full spectrum and there's a dark side that comes with it and so I see Irene saying in the chat room that she has Venus square Pluto natally. Anyone who has a Venus um, um, Pluto connection, whether it be by conjunction, opposition, trine, square, uh, sextile, semi-sextile, sesquisquare, quintile, biquintile, um, septile, bisubtile, I don't care what the aspect is. If you got Venus and Pluto connected in some way, you know what I'm talking about because you're more akin, you're more adjusted to go into those uh, deeper, darker places, which can be just as exquisite and maybe even more exquisitely beautiful because of their intensity than the light and easy um, Venus in uh, Taurus, you know, trining, you know, Jupiter in whatever, Virgo, whatever. And so we have Venus opposing Pluto that's um, that's exact um, just as Venus moves into Leo um, on the 5th, because as Venus moves into to Leo on the 5th, it immediately opposes Pluto. So that's already cooking. Now, let's come back to this full moon and the thing that everyone's going to miss unless they've taken my class or unless they hear me say it, I'm sure. And that is that the moon is at the point of Thor. You know, um, you know, we know that the point of Thales with an opposition is the point that is sextile one side of an opposition and trine the other. Well, the point of Thor is the point that is a half a square to one side of the opposition and a square and a half to the other side. In other words, the moon at 13 degrees of Sagittarius is half a square or semi-square or octile. It's one eighth, a half of a quarter is an eighth. The moon is semi-square to Pluto, and the moon is sesquisquare to Venus. Meanwhile, the sun is semi-square to Venus and sesquisquare to Pluto. And so we have this formation that kind of looks like a mystic rectangle. In a mystic rectangle, you have two crisscrossed oppositions, and the planets are separated by sextile trine, sextile trine. We have two crisscrossed oppositions at this full moon, except these points are, se are separated by moon um, sesquisquare Venus, Venus semi-square sun, sun sesquisquare um, Pluto, and Pluto semi-square moon. And it's not easy. This is not, a, a, this is a, a tough uh, full moon, a lot more complicated and, and a lot more emotionally um, agitated than it might appear on the surface. And do you have any like tips or tricks? Oh, I'm, I'm off camera. Oh, there, there I am. <laughs> do you have any tips or tricks for dealing with a full moon that's packed like that? Yeah, or... Valium. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Xanax. Um, <laughs> your drug of choice. No, unfortunately, all drugs of choice basically um, keep us from 
from experiencing the full spectrum lighting. This is a full spectrum full moon. I mean, all moons in a way are the maximum reflection on the inside to what's on the outside. Yeah, breathe, meditate, move. Breathe, meditate, move. Um, we don't want to bottle the energy up. Um, and, and, and again, this is all doubly so because Mercury is approaching its conjunction to Uranus. It's a degree away. And, and, and the worst thing that we can do while we have such a dynamic configuration of this rectangle of Thor, and that's a newly uh, minted name that I minted specifically for this full moon, um, you know, many of us know what Thor's hammer is, and that's a configuration kind of like a yod, except a yod has a sextile at the base and then quincunxes. Well, if you widen that sextile to a square, you have a square at the base and then two sesquisquares, two square and a halves. And that's called Thor's hammer, which is why I call the, this position of a planet that is a half a square, one side of an opposition to a square and a half to the other side, uh, the point of Thor. But since this is symmetrical all the way around, this is like Thor's rectangle. It's agitating, it's uncomfortable, it's, um, and it's fed by this, by this Mercury conjunct Uranus that has our nervous system going at the speed of light, whether we want to or not. Move, breathe, meditate. Don't meditate. Oh, I shouldn't say don't meditate sitting still. Everyone needs to do what they need, you know, whatever they feel best. But meditating and trying to hold this energy still, it's going to get out one way or another. And so here it's, you know, sure, do your still meditation, your Vipassana, whatever, breathing it, whatever, it is, pranayama, whatever exercises you do, but then get out and walk or run or, um, or, or, or do something, dance. Uh, um, I, I would say that moving our hips, and that can be a metaphor for whatever you would like, but moving our <laughs> hips is really important because when the energy locks up, that's when the lightning strikes. The lightning doesn't strike unless there's unless there's blocked energy. If energy was completely always flowing, there would no, never be any need for lightning because a spark is jumping a gap where there's resistance. And so there's a lot of resistance of energy in this because oppositions are the resistance created by tension, like a tug of war. And so we have Venus tugging on the rope away from Pluto. Then we have the moon tugging on the rope away from the sun. And both of these are doing it in a way that is interfering with one another um, because semi-squares and sesquisquares work like squares, but they're even more agitating there. And so we can do something with it. It's it's great for creation. It's great for movement. It's great for action. Um, but we got to be careful about just simply holding our breath. And, and again, holding our breath would be a metaphor for not expressing something, not, not, not moving on something that, that needs to be moving. And yeah. Um, um, yeah. Aries yeah. explains why tension doesn't have to suck. Alyssa says, and it's because the Aries energy will spontaneously interact with tension and relieve it or, or move it 
whether appropriate or not. I can speak as a uh, multi-planet Aries. Um, and, um, you know, and yeah, discerning light says move the hips. See, the hips are really uh, the point in our physical body. If we're looking at somatic medicine, the hips basically keep the the id, the, the sexual energy, the repressed energy, it keeps it down below the waist. <laughs> and, you know, if you've ever seen anyone who's a real smart ass, a smart aleck, do you ever notice that they cock their hips? You know, that hip stand, you know, like, you, you, you know, it, it's the smart ass stand, you know, or st- it's the smart ass stance. When the hips are locked, the energy between the lower and upper half of the body doesn't move. It doesn't flow. And yet when we move our hips, whether we're doing a yoga practice or stretching or twisting or dancing um, or even walking, the energy from uh, flows from, you know, from the lower part to the upper part of the body. Right. And I'm I'm wondering, too, if the fact that Venus is going retrograde in Leo and Pluto is already retrograde in Aquarius has anything like there. Maybe, you know, they don't catch up again because Venus doesn't retrograde back far enough to catch that opposition. Um, but but yeah, they're both, I mean, they're both heightened in, in their own way right now, for sure. Yeah, so that's more of like a, a one and, would you say that that's more of a one and done kind of story? It's not a thing that will have lots of back and forth? With for? the exception of the Johnson or the Janssen, Johnson and Johnson vaccine, I don't think in astrology there is such a thing as one and done. It's one and it resonates, <laughs> mm. you know, and it picks up on future resonances. There's never that, that. I mean, that's that's an analytical, technical astrology test tube version of life. Um, you know, anything that's ever resonated will continue to resonate and be sensitive. Um, it's how we move with it. But I, I don't think, you know, I mean, look, I mean, Venus will move on. And once it turns direct uh, by the fall, um, Venus will be moving on through Scorpio and it'll be squaring Pluto and then Venus will come around and it'll conjoin Pluto and, and so on. Um, and in the interim, there'll be other connections it will make. But but yeah, I mean, I think they are both heightened now and I think that is is significant. But I do think that the days around this full moon are really important because um, I mean, look, we have Venus trining Neptune on the second. We have the full moon on the third. We have Mercury joining up with Uranus on the fourth, Venus moving into Leo and opposing Pluto on the fifth. Then the sun moves into that and it creates that exact sesquisquare with Pluto, which is really part of the full moon itself. Um, And then there's a little bit of a breather. And then the energy begins to rock again around the 11th, because on the 11th, we have Mars making a square and a half with Neptune. Uh, we're confused again. What the hell is going on? We have Pluto backing into Capricorn. Okay, remedial learning, uh, banks, uh, government, constitution, roads, bridges, fundamental structures are not done being deconstructed by Pluto. And so we got basically the rest of calendar year 2023 with Pluto kind of finishing up the work that it started back at the real estate market crash and stock market crash back in 2008, which was perfectly timed with Pluto touching into Capricorn, backing up into Sagittarius and then moving into Capricorn through 2008. And now as it's doing the same thing in Aquarius, 
um, with Cap with Capricorn to Aquarius, we can expect the other side of that. And I think that uh, the financial market certainly is something to be looked at. But we look at the most fundamental thing, at least in the United States, and we look at how Pluto in Capricorn is basically deconstructing Roto-Rooter, taking out all the important things about our U.S. Constitution and forcing us to look at some of those things and to potentially reevaluate them. But on June 11th, not only does Pluto back into um, Capricorn, Mercury also moves into Gemini. And on top of that, as Mercury moves into Gemini, actually just, uh, um, I mean, simultaneously, because you see, Pluto is now at zero degrees, zero, zero minutes of Aquarius, or 29 degrees and 59 and three quarter minutes of Capricorn. And so at that same moment, I mean, that occurs at 2.35 a.m. And um, I I mean, yeah, that occurs at 2.35 a.m. And just an hour later, Mercury trines Pluto and then moves into Gemini because so, so Mercury's entrance into Gemini is also a trine to Pluto. Um, which is going to be very, very powerful. And um, and that's also on the 11th. And on that same day, Venus makes a square with Jupiter, basically saying, okay, let's hold the magnifying glass over all this crazy shit and make it crazier. And let's make it so that we, if we got something that feels good, let's do it three times instead of just once. Oh, three times is great. Let's try it another two or three times. That, that Venus um, square Jupiter is about excessive, um, overindulgent behavior um, and other things, but it certainly can turn something into too much. And as part of this also, the sun is making a half square with Jupiter at the same time. So the 11th is an incredible rock and roll day um, that really doesn't let up because of half squares. The sun, you know, it, um, the sun makes a half square, um, uh, to to Venus and then Mercury to makes a half square with Chiron by the 13th. And this kind of culminates by the 15th with a, okay, you guys have gone too much, too far, too fast, slow the hell down. And who does that? Well, Mercury, as it's moving through early degrees of Gemini, reaches seven degrees of Gemini and it squares Saturn. And Mercury square Saturn is basically... It's like it's 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 like the molasses freezes, you know. It's like mm-hmm. the you know the running, the, you know, you know. It, it, there's a saying: is you know what things are as slow as molasses in January, because molasses when it's heated pours like a liquid, but when it cools, it doesn't flow and it it's kind of sticky. And Mercury now in Gemini moving really fast, and our thoughts are all over the map, and we're connecting. Mercury in Gemini likes to connect things. You know, Mercury in Virgo is also active, but in Virgo, Mercury wants to find the things that are the most useful and use them. Mercury in Gemini doesn't give a shit about usefulness. It doesn't care about anything practical. It doesn't care if information is even true. Mercury in Gemini is an information slot. It has no judgment. It has no, it it, it may have willpower. It has no won't power. If there are two things, it wants to connect them. So it's, so it's hungry for the, for more data. And yet, as Mercury squares Saturn on the 15th, and we'll feel this for a day or two coming into it and for a little bit after it, it's all of a sudden we realize that we can't, we can't assimilate 
that much information that is coming from this whole run of Mercury moving into Gemini um, and trining Pluto and the um, Venus square Jupiter and all that stuff around the 11th. And so by the 15th, we're slowing down. And by the 17th, Saturn is retrograde. And from the 15th to the 17th, Saturn doesn't move. I mean, yeah, I know technically if we, you know, if we look at the books, um, Saturn turns retrograde at 10.30, 10.27 a.m. on the morning of June 17th. Again, I'm using Pacific time. But here's the thing. Saturn on June 15th is at seven degrees. This is at noon. It's at seven, uh, no, at nine in the morning. It's at seven degrees, 12 minutes of Gemini. And two days later, it's at seven degrees, 13 minutes of Gemini, uh, I mean, of, of, of Pisces. Pisces yeah. Sorry. In other words, in two days, Saturn moves less than one sixtieth of a degree. And so we've hit like this resistance that we're not going to get through. And it's in the midst of that, that we have the new moon in Gemini. And so this is really crazy. And this is why I, I'm calling for the month, um, you know, is it progress or is it retreat or review? Because it's like, it's not just the two steps forward, one step back. It's a quarter step forward, a quarter step back, a quarter step forward, a quarter step back. You know, we're moving into new territory with the high frequency, faster moving planets, but the slower ones keep keep anchoring us. And so we have st Saturn stationary retrograde um, on the same day that we have this new moon at 26 and three quarter degrees of Gemini, 26 degrees of Gemini, 43 minutes. And, th and that's actually that new moon is squaring Neptune. It, it's a degree away, a little bit, you know, a little bit less than a degree away from squaring Neptune. So it's really tight. And the sun actually makes its square with Neptune the following day on the 18th. What does this mean? Now we have this information from all over the place, and yet we're careful about what we're using or what we're saying because Mercury is squaring Saturn. And meanwhile, this new moon in Gemini is squaring um, Neptune, which means that we better be careful about trusting those people who are telling us what's real. And we better clarify everything and we better make sure that our sources are good. And we also better be careful that we don't inadvertently mislead or even outright lie to someone else because the sun and moon are both squaring Neptune. Now, granted, this also allows for a creative imagination and higher thought and, and, and all of and that spiritual stuff, but it's a square. And so there's dynamic conflict between wanting to put words to those things that we can't put words to. So, oh, and then the other thing that's happening right at that same time is we're getting a sextile from Jupiter to Saturn. This may be the most important but most subtle aspect of the month because remember we had the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction back around Christmas um, time um, of 2000. That was the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. Well, this is the first um, um, zodiacal or Ptolemaic aspect since then as um, Saturn is retrograding back into the sextile with Jupiter and um, and this is exact on the 19th at 7 degrees, 
um, Taurus, 12 minutes, that's Jupiter, with Saturn at seven, min- seven degrees, um, 12 minutes of Pisces. And so this is another piece of stable data. This is a throwback to the past because Saturn is retrograde or at least stationary. I mean, again, this is occurring at seven degrees, 12 minutes. That's the exact same place that Saturn was a week ago on the 13th. <laughs> when it was, you know, um, you know, even before it was squared by um, by Mercury. And so we got this balance between expansion, Jupiter, contraction, Saturn, between big ideas and wanting to take them forward coming off of that Venus square um, uh, to uh, Jupiter. And now we have Saturn or Jupiter sextiling Saturn. And again, we're finding that middle ground and we can make the most of it. We have the most opportunity to move forward if we restrain ourselves and find a way to pull in those opportunities and and to ground them. And so this is an incredible period of time. But interestingly, um, we're still talking, uh, except for the Jupiter-Saturn sextile, we're still talking all months, all month, um, aspects from the moon, sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars to outer planets. There are no other really, you know, outer planet to outer planet aspects. Um, so that is very important. And then, of course, we, you know, inch forward. And by the 21st, we have the summer solstice here in the northern hemisphere, winter solstice in down south of the equator. Um, and that occurs at 7.57 a.m. on June 21st Pacific time. Um and that is the beginning of an entirely new season. Um, and it actually starts off rather smoothly because um, we're, we're moving toward a Mars trine Chiron that is exact on June 22nd, Mars trine Chiron. And we'll say more about that. Oh, no, we'll say a little bit about it right now. Mars, Mars and Chiron sometimes are buggers, especially when they don't get along or when, they, when they're um, aspected harshly. But this is a great opportunity to learn those things that we've mislearned because Chiron isn't only the wounded healer. Chiron is also the original mentor. Chiron was the teacher of Asclepius and Hercules. And one of the reasons why the gods granted Chiron immortality, and that was not only because he was an extraordinary healer, but he was an extraordinary teacher. So with Mars trining Chiron, that's exact on the 22nd, we have the ability to move through old wounds, um, either by by forgiving others and releasing ourselves from being tied to the past, um, or by um, by simply processing old wounds and hurts and pains and revisioning them. But it gets better because on the solstice day, on the 21st, Mercury reaches that midpoint between the trine from Saturn to Chiron. Saturn and Chiron are both at 19 degrees. Um, and on the 21st, um, uh, let, let me just see here. Yeah, on the on, on June 21st, Mercury reaches first the sextile to Mars at 18 degrees, 40 minutes, and then the sextile to Chiron. So Mercury is kind of coming right through the middle um, of, um, of those two planets. And again, the emphasis is on communication. 
Here, Mercury is no longer tied up by the resistance to Saturn. It now, if it's learned its lesson, it has a way to move forward. And it's through communication that this healing occurs. So the 21st, and I think is a really into the 22nd is a really, really important period of time. Yeah. Um, it seems like uh, the big bulk of the events of the month are all happening at, towards the beginning and then things seem to kind of like cool down or like resolve themselves. Would you say that that's true? Well, I would accept after we have the, the Mercury, um, the Mercury Mars Chiron little minor tr grand trine, whatever you want to call that by the 25th Mercury then squares Neptune. And this can be a bit of a, pain in the neck because again we're not able to discern reality from fantasy you know we we, we can't tell whether it's a a, a fairy tale or a how-to manual <laughs> and that's okay as long as we realize it because we can always clean up later but we have to be careful about thinking that our fantasies and illusions are real now that's on the 25th in the afternoon by the 26th which means we're going to be feeling this for days before is the Mars square Uranus. And if you call that quieting down, um, I think that you and I do different astrology because <laughs> Mars square Uranus is actually one of the most potentially explosive and lest anyone run off thinking that we're going to get bombed or bomb someone. And of course we do almost every day and we certainly could, but, but it can be metaphysically explosive. It can be, you know, uh, earth shattering, you know, something that happens that leads us into kind of revisioning what is real. And, um, and then that's on the 26th, the same day that Mercury leaves Gemini and then takes a deep breath and settles into cancer, which on one hand looks good because it quiets down. But on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily express everything that it's thinking. It somaticizes, it turns things into emotions. And the slowing down does continue toward the end of the month because by the 28th, the sun now moving through cancer actually reaches seven, uh, it reaches seven degrees of cancer where it trines Saturn at seven degrees of Pisces. And so we're getting another level of stabilization. Um, and then Mercury moving toward its superior conjunction with the sun. That's exact on the last day of the month on June 30th. But what that means is both the sun and Mercury, both trine Saturn on the 28th and 29th, while Venus is now forming an exact trine with Chiron. Neptune is stationary and it turns technically stationary retrograde on the 30th at 27 degrees Pisces, 40, uh, 41 minutes, but it's at 27 degrees, 41 minutes on the 25th, the full week ago. And it's at 27 degrees, 39 minutes back mid month. So Neptune isn't moving very much, but it's retrograde turn on the 30th, along with the sun's alignment with, um, with Mercury certainly shows the heightened importance of Mercury all month. But now we're not saying everything that we think or know things are being internalized, but there is more room for stability by the end of the month. I do agree with you there. Right. So 
would it, the Mercury Neptune uh, square followed by the Mars Uranus square be the the Mercury Uran Mercury Neptune almost be like a fake out? Like we think that things are kind of slowing down, but then comes Mars Uranus and things go. Wow. Yeah, again. I don't know that Mercury Neptune will make it feel like things are slowing down. I I think most of us will just be a bit conflu con confused. <laughs> We're gonna be confused. That's um, the perfect word. <laughs> but, but remember, and I know I've said this before, um, the word confused is 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 an important word because it comes from two Greek words. Con like conjunction means with. It's it's like coming together. And fusion is when two things actually do melt together. They lose their boundary. Confusion is what happens when we fall in love. Why? Because the boundary between me and you dissipates. Hmm. Neptune's primary job is to dissolve Saturn's hard edges. The ego thinks there's a hard edge between me and everything else out there. That's the job of the ego. When Mercury squares Saturn, I'm sorry, when Mercury squares Neptune, basically what that does is that dissolves the hard edges of the um, of the mercurial thoughts that we believed were fact. We become confused. Confusion is only difficult if we think we need to have a hard edge and a sharp boundary between me and you. Confusion. It's one of the great, it's one of the best techniques for hypnotizing someone. It's sometimes referred to as the confusion technique. You know, it, it's basically the, the fast stage hypnotist will go to a subject and go, give me your hand. It's hot. It's cold. Look up, look down, look, you know, look this way. Your eyes are getting heavy. Now you're wide awake. Now you're asleep. And the person's so confused that they grab onto whatever it is that's stable, sometimes referred to as a stable datum. And um, and so with Neptune square, with Mercury square Neptune, it's a primary setup for us to find a piece of stable data and everything else becomes important. I'll tell you some of the pieces of stable data that people find that may be okay for them in the moment, but if a friend of yours finds one of these pieces of stable data, you lose them often as a friend because they don't have anything to talk about anymore. What do I mean? What's a stable datum? Someone um, discovering Scientology. Someone learning Shosher and Buddhism and knowing that chanting Nam Yoho Renge Kyo will um, make everything else okay. Uh, someone, um, someone taking Jesus as their savior. Now, I'm not saying any one of these things is a bad thing to do. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm not saying it's bad in perspective. It's just that when we're confused, we often grab onto something. And that something then becomes inflated in its importance. Then we become imprinted with it. And then it, we're stuck with it, whether it makes sense in the future or not. So that's the danger of the Mercury square Neptune. If we can remain flexible, fluid, and adaptable, then we get to go to these amazing places. We get to learn from these things and then still come back to the Mars square um, Uranus the following day and do something outrageous with it and hopefully not get caught or hopefully do it in a way that is socially acceptable enough that we you know, don't uh, um, blow things up. The problem with lightning strikes, it relieves the tension. 
But if there's so much tension, like Yellowstone Park back 25 years ago, the park was so dry and so dead and so over overgrown that when lightning struck, it burned down most of Yellowstone. And everyone thought Yellowstone was, was a disaster. It would never come back. And 20 years later, naturalists are saying it's never been so healthy. This is the way Uranus works. The greater the stress or tension, the more the lightning striking has to burn things to the ground, which may feel awful in the moment. Um, and if you're you know, a worm living there, well, it probably killed you. But mm. it basically reinvigorates and re-energizes, re-stimulates, which is also why Uranus is called the Great Awakener, because it awakens and re-stimulates life in general. Right. So I guess the cautionary sort of thing is to not hold on too tight to something during the Mercury-Neptune uh, square. So when the Mars Uranus square comes around, we're not in that inflexible sort of like. Yes. And yes, but, or yes. And the, the trick often with um, what, what some people call um, the um, what is it? The, 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 the iron fist and the velvet glove, you know, when, when do you hold on to something and when do you kind of move with it? The problem is that if we hold on to something too tight, it kills the life energy. Um, if we think of Saturn and Uranus, if we if something becomes overly Saturnine, it's dead. It can't. It's it. It no longer moves. It can't be Jupiter and expand, and it can't be Uranus. It, there's no electrical current. It's not. It's no, no longer alive, and so. We have to find a place that's never the same. This is different for every person that's somewhere in between that velvet glove and the iron fist. We, there are decisions we need to make and hold on to certain things. But if we hold on to them too tight, then that can become problematic. Right on. Nice. And is that it for the month or, or is it, there's more after the... The Mars well, there's Uranus. more after this, but then we're into July, and by contract, I'm not allowed to speak about July. <laughs> when we're, I'm kidding. July so is the that, next Saturday that, month, though. That actually takes us right up to the um, closing, you know, trine of the Mercury and Sun to Saturn, which I think is very stabilizing. The Neptune stationary retrograde, even though it's been stationary for pretty much the whole month, or at least the second part of the month. I mean, you know, Neptune at the beginning of the month is tw uh, is uh, 27 degrees of Pisces in 29 minutes. And at the end of the month, it's still at 27 degrees and 41 minutes. That's like, that's like about a sixth of a degree in the entire month. Um, and then, of course, we close the month, the last aspect of the month at exact at 10 p.m. on June 30th is the superior co conjunction of Mercury and the sun. And, and you know, Mercury, when it's retrograde, is inside. If you drew a straight line, when Mercury is retrograde and conjunct the sun, if you draw a straight line toward the sun, you go through the orbit of Mercury. But when Mercury is direct, as it is now, it's on the far side of the sun, which means you, you draw that straight line, you get to the sun first, and then Mercury which means that there's a chance or a way for Mercury to get out beyond the brilliance, the brightness of the will, of the, of the consciousness of, of the self. And of course, this is all occurring while the Sun and Mercury are trining Saturn. Um, I think this is a very sound and solid 
way to end the month. And so let's just take it from there and end it there while we have our feet temporarily on the ground in a way that maybe has us looking back and seeing where we've been and looking forward and seeing where we're going in a way that's not built completely on imaginary um, friends, people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with imaginary friends either, (laughs) but this is like an antidote to that because we certainly have our share of that. Yeah, and I think that that's really interesting because I like the the metaphor that you used of, of like the the iron fist and uh, velvet glove because it feels like throughout the whole entire month that's the the flip we're iron fisting then uh, uh, silk glove uh, what is it velvet glove and we're we're in this dance between the two up until we get to the end of the month where we have this the Saturn Mercury Sun trying yeah. situation where we actually get to like process would you say like process and learn from all of that oh yeah um, instability yeah, yeah. that yeah. back and forth yeah it of... would and you know while we're talking about the uh, iron fist and the velvet um and the velvet glove um that reminds me of a, of a ron davison line ron davison was the president of the um london a- um, astrological lodge back in the well, I think probably in the early '60s and before Charles Harvey. I but but he uh, he wrote a book called Astrology. He's also which is a brilliant book, and he's also the guy who came up with the idea of a relationship chart called the Davison method of chart comparison. Well, Ron Davison used to say that um, ast- that astronomy is like a glove, and astrology is like the living hand inside the glove just another hand metaphor not a rob hand metaphor nice. and it's it's funny because we're heading into gemini season and we've been talking Finger, about hands fingers, fingers, fingers the whole time toes. it's awesome and, and and that's actually really nice because it, it feels like the universe itself is kind of like hey guys you're gonna be doing a lot of back and forth a lot of handling to opposite uh, op- opposing forces at once here's gemini season for you so you can yeah. process it through Yes. Well, and I'm I, I, I'm I'm not pleased that um, Amanda had um, a, a little thing that emergency that she had to deal with today. She's fine. Um, but I am pleased that we had a chance to uh, to talk. This has been great hanging out with you for, you know, oh, for the hour. Thank you so much. Thank, thank yeah, you very of course. much. All right, guys. So I think that is it for today. Um, before we go, just a, a couple of reminders. If you love learning from Rick, Rick has many, many courses. We talked about one of them uh, so far. Uh, We talked about Foundations 3, which is all about harmonic aspects, but Rick also has Foundations 1 and 2, and the chart reading extravaganzas, which I think were also in 1 and 2. And I think that there's a relationship workshop and a quincunx workshop. Yeah, there's a pile of stuff that that you guys got of mine. People can find them. Would you say say that the relationship workshop would be a good one to kind of dip your toes in with this of Venus Pluto opposition going on. I I think that um, relationships are always good to dip one to- one's toes into, you know. Yeah. But but then again, I do have a very close Venus Neptune opposition from the fifth to the eleventh. So you would expect me to say that from <laughs> Aries to Libra relationship relationship. Oh, no way. That's awesome. 
Cool. So if you guys want to uh, find all of Rick's courses, it's all on astrologyhub.com forward slash academy. You see all of uh, Rick's courses and all of the other courses that we have as well. And Rhiannon said, take Foundations 3 if you want your mind blown. Thank you very much, Rhiannon. I hope there's no, you know, brain damage from from blowing out one's mind. (laughs) Um, And thank you, um, Susan and Tanya and Irene and, and Shakti and Steven and, and so many people in the uh, chat room. Um, you guys make this like, like fun. Um, and, and, and you are appreciated. Yeah. Steven is a regular. I love seeing Steven in the comments all the time. <laughs> by the way, by the way, I just should mention before we bail that for those of you who may have missed it, um, I'm going to be at the Omega Institute which is just north of New York City. It's like the most um, iconic New Age cosmic place on the planet. It's a, it's a place where people like Titnat Han, Ram Das, uh, Deepak Chopra, Marion Williamson, Wayne Dyer. I mean, all, all these people, you know, ha, you know, have blessed um, this place with their presence. And on the weekend of June 30th, that's just you know the the end of this month. Um, I will be there for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three-day intensive workshop on astrology um, at the con- the consciousness um, at the crossroads. And I will be sharing this weekend with four amazing astrologers, um, all or most of whom are astrology hubbers, um, including um, the infamous Anne Ortley, oh, no Rachel, Rachel Lang, Maurice Fernandez and Lynn Bell, who's coming over from Paris. And the five of us will be doing this. You can find out more by either going to um, my Instagram, which is Rick Levine Astrologer. And there's a link in the bio there or by going to iomega.org. It's a little bit hard to find. They have so many things at their site, but it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be a relatively small group. Um, and, um, and there's still a little bit of room available. So if that sounds intriguing to you, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. I've taught at Omega before. It's an absolutely magical place in the country, in the Hudson river Valley. It's definitely rural and it's going to just be gorgeous there midsummer. So Aww. I wish I could have, I could go cause for this is the one that is actually close to where I live, but I'll be in California throughout all of July and well, Rachel Lang and I'll Rachel Lang and I'll be back at Omega in October. Oh no way! Nice. Yeah, doing another weekend, but sweet. Uh, but that's too far in the future. I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> October is uh, an exciting month. Then uh, we'll see you then. All right, All guys. Right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a blast. Have a bouncy June. It sounds like it's very much necessary. So I will see you guys on the next one. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.